Dear family members and friends of First Lutheran Church, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. During our Lenten season, as we have immersed ourselves in a study of the book of Psalms, much like the music of jazz, we've come to experience a rich variety of genres or styles that give word to the whole gamut of our life of faith. From times when we experience the dissonant chords of the blues with its spirit of lament, such as Psalm 130, out of the depths do I cry to thee, O Lord. But also times when we experience the upbeat kind of swing of taking wing with words of thanksgiving and praise as we find in Psalm 59. O my strength, I will sing praises to thee, for thou, O God, art my refuge, who shows me steadfast love. In sum, the book of Psalms at once speaks of our human condition of sin but also how God comes to enfold and embrace us with God's mercy and God's grace. And so let me ask, as you listen now to the heart of Psalm 31, which is going to be the basis of the sermon today, and I would have you turn to your pew Bibles, uh, to the Old Testament section. I believe it's page 512 to Psalm 31. Look there with me at verse 9. Psalm 31 is a sign for Palm and Passion Sunday. And I think here we are at the heart of it, asking you, what do you hear? The psalmist says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, my body and soul also. For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my misery, and my bones waste away. Now, this part of the psalm, without question, is what kind of style here or form that we've been studying at coronation, psalm, a psalm of praise and thanksgiving, a psalm for sojourners? Yes, it is a psalm of lament. And can you feel the weariness here in the psalmist's spirit? Can you hear the sighing as though it's coming right off the soundboard of B.B. King's guitar or the song of an Ella Fitzgerald? In body and soul, the psalmist is absolutely spent, used up, wearied right down to his bones. And so it is with Jesus in our first gospel text for today that you heard in our processional from, from Luke chapter 19. Recall that at this point in Jesus' life, as he's entering the gates of Jerusalem on Palm Passion Sunday, 
what in Jesus' time the Jewish people referred to as the Passover feast, how he has doggedly spent himself again to the bone in a ministry of healing and teaching and preaching, always on the go, being ridiculed and mocked, as you heard from Isaiah 50. Day after day, for now some three years since his baptism in the Jordan River. This past Wednesday in our midweek Bible study, a woman pointed out something that I'd never really seen before. As Jesus and the disciples prepare to enter Jerusalem, we read in Luke 19, they set Jesus on the donkey's colt. They lifted up Jesus onto the colt. And so she continued, could it be that Jesus was just so spent that his disciples needed to lift him up and put him on the donkey? He must have been totally exhausted, she said. Say nothing of what he knew was soon on the horizon, his terrifying destiny with death, finally giving his all for us and our salvation on the cross. And so we as a study group look back again at Psalm 31. And you'll read there with me in verse 13, strikingly how the psalmist's voice cascading down through the centuries, comes into the very life and word of Jesus. I have passed out of mind like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel buried. So the question becomes, what kept Jesus going? What was the source of Jesus' hope? the wellsprings, as he now faced the cross. Again, listen to the testimony of Psalm 31 as we see these wondrous connections between the psalmist and Jesus' life at this point. Verse 14, But I trust in you, O Lord, I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and persecutors. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me by your steadfast word. Note here in the very beginning of verse 14, there's this little word. There's a little three-letter word here that at the same time is very profound. It's, it's sort of the pivot point in the psalm. It is the word but... That great, nevertheless, word of faith. And here it is that we find this source of hope that carries Jesus onward in spite of all worldly evidence to the contrary. I'm totally spent, but I trust in thee, O Lord. My times are in your hands, says the psalmist. Yes, I am weak, but you are strong, O God, says Jesus. 
Yes, I'm traveling through the valley of the shadow of death, but thou art with me, O Lord. Yes, I'm dying here, but you are life. And if we look back at the very beginning of Psalm 31 in verse 5, it's here that we hear the amazing words of faith that Jesus echoes from the cross that we hear as the concluding word on Good Friday, that we sang as a refrain in the psalm. Into thy hands, O Lord, do I commend, do I commit my spirit. You see, Jesus is placing his brokenness, his weakness, beneath the blessing of his baptism, of God's cradling words of refuge, that thou art my beloved son, on you my favor rests always, in spite of all kinds of signs that might point to the contrary. Here is the source of Jesus' strength. Even in his weariness, as he faces the scourging and cross in Jerusalem. My friends, Jesus lived his whole life in this reassuring word of God's promise as the beloved. People loved him, people hated him. People accepted him, people rejected him. People wanted to make him king. Hosanna, right? But people soon went from the waving of the palms to a closed fist. Crucify him. But in the midst of it all, Jesus remained the beloved on whom God's favor rests. And no one and nothing could change that. Absolutely nothing. And this is what kept Jesus going all the way to the cross for us. And this claim of God's promised presence as witnessed by the psalmist and Jesus is what kept a friend of mine going for now some 36 years of ministry in spite of his weakness. It was the concluding chapel service on campus just prior to our Luther Seminary class graduating in May of 1983. A fellow classmate and good friend was asked by then President David Teedy to read one of the scripture lessons. One of the crosses that my friend Ron bore was a lifelong problem with stuttering. Now we can only imagine what that must have been like for him as a boy on the playground at school being teased or the exasperation of his teachers or moving into a new community with the neighboring kids saying, hey, who's that new guy that talks so funny? Hmm? And yet this young seminarian, this young pastor had submitted to the calling so public and visible that there's no place to hide such a weakness. It was there in front of God and the church and the world that he stood Sunday after Sunday, and he still does, in weddings and funerals and preaching and teaching, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses all of whom became party to his weakness while he struggled 
through liturgies and lessons, sermons and benedictions, and just life itself. Through speech therapy, my friend Ron had learned to control the problem, but the control meant speaking slowly, deliberately, in a rather halting, almost kind of a herky-jerky fashion. Some words were obviously more difficult than others to pronounce without stuttering. And now he stood in Osgard Hall on Luther's campus in St. Paul before distinguished faculty, fellow students, and family members who packed that chapel as he read from our second lesson that you heard today in St. Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, the second chapter. I'd like to have you close your eyes and just try to image now some 36 years ago, Ron's voice. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. My friends, I mean, you could have heard a pin drop in those old wooden basketball floors of Osgard Hall. The congregation was hushed, completely united in hearing as they listened to the word of God wrapped once more in swaddling claws. Grace of God in human flesh, supported by their sympathy and sustained by their very present commitment, not only to the reader, but what was being read. The sheer power of that written and proclaimed word stood like a sentinel against the rugged landscape of this man's weathered and weakened and oft-criticized life, taking the form of a servant. My friends, is this story anywhere near your life today? Does this touch someplace in your heart, your mind, this day? Some weary part of your life, rugged and heavy like timber, carried on the back of your soul this constant lifelong weakness that you'd like to hide or hide from, but you just can't. You just can't any more than you can get away from the air you breathe or the face that you wear. Now know that St. Paul's appeal here in Philippians 2 is made because faith is a struggle, if we're honest. Not because we're called to do big and grand things, but trusting in the doing however small, the sacrificial giving of ourselves in service to others, knowing that God is present, working his saving grace, even in and through the days when we're cross-eyed with weariness. Thus my young seminary classmate who battled was stuttering so, who has now served Christ Church as a word and sacrament pastor for 
36 years, has allowed his painful weakness to stand out publicly for the greater good of making public the presence and power and peace of God that can move even through weakness with the power and strength of God, knowing that God's word never returns empty. Now let me just illustrate this point by contrast. There was another preacher, this one famous for his brilliance in the pulpit. Every sermon was near to perfection. Witty, eloquent, dramatic, oratory flowed out of his mouth something like Aunt Jemima's maple syrup. People swooned upon hearing him even as he himself was impressed to a considerable degree by his, his, his ability. Well, one Sunday after worship, when God's gift of preaching had been laid once again upon the world and the church, a small elderly woman approached the man and said, has anyone ever told you you're a great preacher? And the man said feigningly, why no, but why do you ask? I just love this woman's response. She said, then where in the world did you get the idea? <laughs> As Sheldon would say, bazinga. <clears throat> you see, he was so strong, arrogant, wealthy of mind and word, seemingly self-sufficient, that there was no room for an even greater power, so full of himself, there's no room for another. No thou. For thou, O Lord, art my refuge. In thee I trust. And so it is as witnessed by my friend Ron, the psalmist, and above all, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that there are places in our hearts where only weakness can enter, where power and glory cannot come. And knowing this, God has sent his Son in the likeness of a suffering servant, taking on our frail flesh and the sin of the world. And Christ, having laid aside his majesty and taking the form of a servant, being obedient even to death on a cross, was crucified, what does Paul say? He was crucified in, in weakness. And on him, God has laid the chastisement that has made us whole. By his stripes, we are healed. To conclude, my friends, it's only when we come to the end of ourselves that we are most ready for the saving, steadfast presence of God. And then into the broken vessel of our own weakness is poured the whole counsel of God. Yes, even in the weakness and weariness of life, this is what we are called to embrace. There is a supreme strength because it is God's strength. As St. Paul would remind us, when I am weak, then I am strong. Let us bow our hearts with the psalmist. Into your hands, O Lord, do we commend our spirit, for thou hast redeemed us, faithful and steadfast, forgiving and gracious God. Amen. Amen.